welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you very much, big voice in the sky. We are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons and Barton. Uh, the thing that is so fun about this week's show is that uh, we get to uh, debate things which have uh, little to no actual meaning, but truly are intriguing as we get to stack up the college football coaches against each other. Uh, it's basically like the perfect May exercise. This is, yeah, this is one of my favorite offseason um, exercises. Uh, it's, it is, look, it's, completely subjective there is no right or wrong answer um and a lot of times like as you go through this and actually start putting it on paper a coach that in your head is like all right that's a top 10 coach when you start lining them up you know that guy might slide down to 2025 like it's just it's it's harder than you think to 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 list out 65 coaches most of whom you think are pretty good coaches right like at the you know the moment you think a coach is not a good coach in the Power Five, that's when that's when the guy's like being called to be fired. Like at this point, heading into the season, I'd say you know what I don't know ninety percent of of programs in college football in the Power Five ranks probably think that their coach is good. You know, they may not think he's great. They may right. not know what, who they can get better than him. Yeah, but they probably think he's good. Now that might change four games into the season. But uh, at that point, you got to decide whether or not you know you want to fire him. But I th- I think it's just inter- fascinating to to sort of go through coaching rankings and and, and make your decisions because there's some tough decisions that have to be made. So to review, uh, if you head on over to cbssports.com, on uh, if you head there today, uh, I believe this show is going to get posted. Uh, we'll, we'll try not to spoil too much, but uh, on Tuesday, uh, 65 through 26. And remember, this is just the Power 5 coaches, and there are some very good coaches, and we'll get to them later in the show, sort of figuring out where they would fit into this puzzle. Uh, but just the Power 5 programs at the FBS level of college football, 65 through 26, uh, that ranking will go up on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the top 25 will be revealed. So as you know, we were tasked with, with our ballot uh, before we dig into this um, we've got you know some some coaches that have been on the move we've got some coaches where Barton and I have some big disagreements on so let's Barton let's let's lay the rules out like where 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 did you come from when it came to a like what was your approach for ranking these coaches yeah so I was the way I looked at this is if I'm hiring a coach for this season mm. to basically um, put a- my program in a position long-term. The AD model. I love it. I didn't do yeah. it, but I like it a lot. So, and, and like, it's not, because I didn't want to get too much into, all right, this is like, I don't want to hire Bill Snyder because he's old, or I don't want to hire, uh, or I, I want to hire PJ Fleck because he's young. It's more about, all right, you're going to coach at a really high level on the field, and you're going to recruit at a really high level while you're here. And if you're gone next year, at least you've set a foundation in place for the next coach to come. And so I did use recruiting, um, what I know about what these guys can do from a recruiting standpoint. 
and I did use like basically what like what it boiled down to for me was all right if I am Alabama and Nick Saban's my head coach would I trade Nick Saban this year for Pat Fitzgerald or whoever it is and and so for every spot I'd say all right between if, if I'm deciding between the, the number five coach and the number six coach in the country would I trade the number five coach for the number six coach if I'm a fan of that number five team um and I and that's sort of the that that's because because look you know we'll talk about a lot of these but for a Paul Johnson type of guy it's easy to say it's easy to sort of sit on your high horse and say Paul Johnson is a great coach and this pod has been very Paul Johnson friendly. In Very the Paul Johnson friendly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, but it's easy to sit on your high horse and say that. But if you're, say, a Tennessee fan and you are and being told, all right, we are going to fire Butch Jones and hire Paul Johnson, then then that sort of like that changes your mentality. All right, Paul Johnson's a great coach, but is he about to be my coach? Then then all of a sudden you start thinking it a little bit differently. Uh, and so that's kind of you know where I come in with the all right. Would you trade X coach for Y coach? Uh, and that that helped me really navigate through this uh, this list. Uh, I'm I'm all about the tiers, and I I set things up where I go through the entire list. Um, and if you are normally like the top five, six, five or six, I, I kind of have figured out. And you know what? Like uh, spoiler alert: Nick Saban is number one. Uh, it is number one in the consensus. He's number one on chips. He's number one on Bartons. He was the number one last year when we did these rankings at CBS Sports. And he's number one in 2016 when we did these rankings at CBS Sports. But uh, so I there's like uh, the coaches that get a 10. There's the coaches that get a 20. And then it gets really, really interesting because if I think that you're a pretty good coach, like if I consider you top half among the Power 5 schools, I give you a 30. If I think that you are probably a 30, but maybe things haven't been going so well recently, I give you a 40. And then at the bottom, things get a little bit actually even tougher because you, you almost hate because uh, the, the coaches at the bottom are like Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Nothing against Jonathan Smith, but man, it's, it's going to be tough for me to argue that you are better than 20 active Power 5 coaches right now. Uh, so I, as I start to sort out the tiers, the thing that becomes really interesting to me is that I've got like 30 guys who all are listed with a 20 or 30. You know, like, like I think that there's a huge group right there in the middle and trying to sort out, you know, like, you know, for right here, uh, like Larry Fedora, or Dave Doran. Uh, I don't know. You know, you, you start, you start slotting these guys, you're moving them around. And so I, I take a tier approach first. And then when it comes to breaking up the ties and, uh, slotting the coaches within the tiers, then it becomes a little bit of, uh, the methodology that you see from uh, Bill Connolly uh, at Football Outsiders and SB Nation, or Ken Pomeroy for college basketball, where you know there's th- there's an extra element, like a predictive element, but also that predictive element uh, lessens in value based on whatever's happened recently. So I do take recent success into consideration. The further we are from great success in the past, uh, it probably means a little bit less and. You know, I like you, I didn't want to penalize Bill Snyder for um I didn't want to penalize Bill Snyder for his age, but I did penalize Bill Snyder for 
hitting this point in his career where he's gone from a lovable tactical wizard to, you know, like from the from your AD seat, like I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I can't. I want to. I'm looking forward to hearing what all you penalized Bill Snyder for because you went low <laughs> for the bull, for, for 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 the grandfather of college football coaching right now. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's yeah. I want to dig into that. You can save that for now. Um, but yeah, and there's some like there's some obviously um, it, it gets a little bit volatile over the course of a couple of different years like there is some some ups and downs I think one of my biggest ones like you know we'll talk we'll talk a lot about this again but like Paul Johnson to me like I had a I had a real revelation between this year and last year in terms of where I had him ranked and and where I have him ranked this year with just one season apart and uh and so we'll yeah we'll dig into that but let's where you want to start with the with breaking this down. Let's let's start with coaches that uh, appear to be on the way up. Uh, coaches that, that I think that, you know, according to our rankings, they have seen an improvement. But uh, also, I think that even throw, throw rankings and numbers out the window, I think that most college football fans would argue that the, the trajectory is pointing up uh, for a couple of coaches. And I want to start with Penn State's James Franklin because you have an intimate knowledge of James Franklin. You visited Penn State last offseason. You were very close to the Vanderbilt program where a lot of his reputation as a coach and certainly where he built his resume that got him that Penn State job. What to you, like how do you balance the success at Penn State, which there has been plenty, with the, oh my gosh, you, you know you know how hard it is to win nine games at Vanderbilt? Like I feel like Tony Barnhart told that to me 15 times a season when we were uh, working together at CBS Sports. You know, how do you balance the Vanderbilt and the Penn State success with your ranking of James, James Franklin? Well, I went I went high. You went real really high. Really high with James Franklin. Uh, he's, he's my number five coach in the country. Um, and, and the Vanderbilt success plays into that, I think, significantly. Like, I, you're right. I'm in Nashville. I watched it up close. Like, I've never seen – the city of Nashville embraced Vanderbilt football in my 36 years of, of life. <laughs> like there's, there's never been a time when it's been cool to wear black and gold. Like when right. like people are flashing the VU sign, which I don't even, I think James Franklin might've like, like coined that VU hand signal. Certainly if there were, if it existed before James Franklin, nobody was proud enough to actually use it. Uh, and so, I mean that's that's the sort of the foundation for my James Franklin appreciation, and then you go when he goes to Penn State, he inherited a, a bit of a mess. I mean Bill O'Brien took the brunt of the mess, but James Franklin certainly there, there were some ashes still to sweep up when when James Franklin got there. The offensive line was in shambles. He had to deal with this sort of false expectation of Christian Hackenberg based on a freshman season that has since been proven to be. Uh, a, a total red herring. Like the kid is 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 not was not the talent of his freshman season. James Franklin did not screw up Christian Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg, in fact, probably held Penn State back. Um, and so, the way he's built that program, the way he is now recruiting at a high level at Penn State, and the success they've had over the last couple of years. I mean, look, they there was a very real, very um, substantive 
uh, arguments that they should have been in the college football playoffs in 2016. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, they were they they were pretty dang close last year. I mean, a couple of, of one possession games. And I, I just think for, for him to get that program playing at that level this quickly, plus this recruit like he like again, when you look at who would you trade your your head coach for, um, there's only four coaches in college football I wouldn't trade for James Franklin. Um and and I think and I feel pretty good about that. Like I don't even I don't I, I obviously there's some great arguments to make for the guys behind him. But in but based on what I've seen, I don't really feel like I'm going that far out on a limb. Now clearly I'm higher than I think anybody else in uh, in our within our rankings. Um but I'm comfortable with that. I I I'm I've been very impressed with what he's done and and how he's built things at Penn State. I had uh James Franklin at 16. Yeah, all right. So you so you're probably on the low end. Yeah. Uh, so what's their, what's your hold up? Uh there are uh there are there there are not scars, but there is still rib pain from me laughing at some of the bungled late game sit- clock situations from like 3 years ago. And that's not fair to James Franklin. <laughs> it's really not fair. I I'll admit it's really not fair to James Franklin, but like there it it caused enough because you remember what I'm talking about, right? Was it the 2016 season? There were like three games that all came down to uh, just just some maybe not 16. It would have been 15 because 16 was uh, when they had the argument to be in the playoff. Yeah, in 2015, right? There was there was a lot of uh, there, there was a lot of yakety sacks type moments at the end of some Penn State football games, and uh, and you know I'll I will. I will blame, but also credit Tom Fernelli for maybe putting that in my head because he got a big kick out of it too. And clearly, you know, that wasn't the issue because think about uh, the the close games that Penn State won last year. You know, like this is this is not something that is should not be lingering. But the I I am wary of in the same way that you can point to the the VU hand signal. Um, you know, I, I love, I love PJ Fleck, but I think I'm also at a point where I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gimmicky hand signal, uh, catchphrase fatigued at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, James Franklin is not PJ Fleck and he also understood that he needed to do that at Vanderbilt. The hand signal Penn state is like number one, like they hold up the what number one finger you right know, like, but, but james franklin the, is a salesman and that's what makes him a good recruiter he is, he, but, but but we're not and and obviously we got a lot of coaches to go through but in college football not the nfl but in college football there is an element of salesmanship that is necessary in your head coach there is a an element of like you you can't get bogged down in the in my opinion, in the uh, you know in-game coaching as the end-all, be-all. Like I, I think in, in college football, it's about developing players and it's about selling a program. It's about recruiting, and oh yeah, like it's about coaching. But that product takes care of itself just in the win-loss column. So that, that's sort of where I stand on that. And and I do, and I get your your your, your sort of fleck fatigue. But I really think James Franklin has adjusted his approach at Penn State given – like it took a couple years to figure it out. But I think that he's adjusted his approach to, to fit that program now to where it's he's not 
you know, he's not Mr. Gimmick guy. Well, all right, you know what's so unfair? Uh, the only thing that's separating James Franklin from Dabo Sweeney is national championship and college football playoff appearances. Right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're yeah, yeah. That, I mean that, and 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 that's hey. and I, that's at me admitting that I I am recognizing that James Franklin can be Dabo Sweeney. You know, like he he could have that, you know, CEO, uh, put the plan in place, sell your program all the time. But where I like like I elevate Dan Mullen above James Franklin, probably because of the coaching X's and O's game planning, uh, you know, some of some of that aspect of it, knowing that. You know, that's never been Dabo Sweeney's forte, but I've got Dabo Sweeney up here at, you know, number three on my ballot. And, you know, like that's that that is <laughs> in this incredibly subjective as hell <laughs> ranking system. Like that's sometimes the the line that gets cut here. OK, so then and, and last point on James Franklin and we'll move on to the to the to the next rising coach at 16th in the country. You've got so name a couple of the others that you've got ahead of James Franklin. Do you have I've got Scott Frost at fifteen. Do you have do you have Paul Christ above him? No, he's at seventeen. Do you have Kirby Smart above him? Yes. Okay. I, so you would then I've got Chip Kelly above him. Like if if you're if you're a Penn State fan, you would trade James Franklin for Kirby Smart. I would trade James Franklin for Mike Gundy. Would you trade him for Kirby Smart? Yes. Okay. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I've got like Mike Gundy above him. I've got Mark Richt above him. Uh, Gus Malzahn and Gus Malzahn gets that same like Dan Mullen thing where it's like, yeah, like, but I kind of think he's a little bit of a, you know, Gustav's a little bit of a savant. He is. He is. So you're, you, it strikes me one coach into this discussion. It strikes me that you are heavily, uh, you you put heavy weight into in-game coaching and X's and O's. Yeah. I, I okay. apparently okay. and that's and that's one thing where it's like all of these guys when I did my tiers were in the same tier and when it came right. time to split hairs especially with that group that became a big part of it. Yep. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, all right. So we got we so next next up and coming coach Scott Frost. You know I got Scott Frost. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Number 6. Look, it's not just it, it's not just rhetoric when I when I preach my the Scott Frost gospel on this pod. I uh, I actually believe it. Uh, I got him sixth, and that this is one of those where look, I understand there's not a there's the body of work isn't there. He's got what two years of head coaching experience uh, ever, um, but I, this is my this, you know it's my ranking, and I'm a, I'm allowed to put him where I want, and that's that truly like. I believe, like again, there's only six coaches in college football I take over Scott Frost right now, mm. and yeah. part of that is definitely the product on the field. You know, they hey, they were impressive this year. Um, you know, they took a no a, a winless team to an undefeated season in two seasons. That's that's not. I don't care what conference you're in. That's not easy to do. Um, but the other big part of it is, look, I am. I think what Scott the, the the approach Scott Frost takes in this and his his message his uh just the the way he delivers his message 
I think it's 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 perfect for today's college football. Like he's not a he's not a grind you up and and beat you down. He's a build you up guy, but at the same time, he's about like he's he's a little bit. He's not just straight up, and I, and I know Dabo Sweeney can can you know get into somebody's ass every once in a while, but but Scott Frost has this build you up mentality, and yet he's still a blue collar, hard working. Let's get walk ons back in the yeah. Just the the whole blue collar mentality is there, while still being like this sexy spread offense. So, I I just you I mean hey I'm I, I'm out there I'm all the way out there with Scott Frost. Uh, I've got Scott Frost at 15 on my list. You and I are both ahead of the rest of the pack. Clearly some people not believing Barton's gospel of Scott Frost. I would also say that this is another coach where I factored in X's and O's. And this is another coach where um, I am giving him at least if, if he's not getting like little portions of credit for his time as an assistant, he's certainly earned some, uh, like he's earned some value in my mind in terms of the what he learned there, the experiences that he had, in addition to the success that Oregon had during his time on staff, where I'm just like, man, that's like that's that is the pedigree of like quarterback at Nebraska, the success as a player. It didn't totally work out in the pros. Like he never didn't become an all pro, but he went right into grinding as an assistant coach, uh, coaching multiple positions that he didn't play. You work your way up. All of a sudden you have your breakthrough. You go back to your alma mater. Like that's some, like that's the pedigree of a guy who could be in the college football hall of fame 30 years from now. That's just, I mean, like that is the way the story has been written before. And, uh, and I'm, I, I don't have him at six, but, uh, you and I are clearly ahead of the pack on this one. Somebody, so we'll we'll give a couple spoilers uh, for the for the consensus rankings of the CBS um, crew, but Scott Frost is twenty first in the consensus. Uh, that means somebody has Scott Frost ranked like what? What does that mean? Like fortieth? Yeah, he, somebody something. Somebody's got to have him down at like thirty five or so, you know multiples. Yeah, someone is low on him, which is I just. Man, I, I need to cross-examine that person. But, you know, there was uh, – we just had our 24-7 sports pub convention and, and Mike Brunts and Mike Schaefer who run our Nebraska site were down there and, and, and I was talking to them a little bit about Frost and they were saying that, you know, people who have been around that program for a long time and who have been around Scott Frost and, and Tom Osborne say that he is, from a demeanor standpoint, and it makes sense because he was he – was, sort of built by this guy and, and that was where his foundation was um he is a, very reminiscent of tom osborne uh from a demeanor uh approach the way you run the program standpoint and look tom osborne is one of the greatest coaches of all time i, I just think this is this is going to be i'm we're going to be right i'm going to be right all right <laughs> six six overall and, and people can call me crazy. I'm going to be right on this one. Scott Frost is going to be a star. Uh, you and I are both also higher than the consensus on uh, future Cleveland Browns coach Lincoln Riley. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy's getting – he NFL teams are flocking to, to, to Norman to, to, like, clinic with Lincoln Riley, the 
what is he, 35? So this is this is where I, I do think um, someone else, if not multiple other voters in the CBS Sports Coach Rankings uh, of of the, the electorate, I guess, are very much uh, weighing and giving bonuses for seniority. No question. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. if Scott Frost and Lincoln Riley, if we're so much further uh, ahead of the rest of the group, then the, there's obviously someone else who has got like Bill Snyder, number one, uh, Mark Ricks, number two, Nick Saban. Just, like, just going down like all-time wins list. Yeah, yes. Well, you told me to rank coaches, and I rank them by the Ws. I mean, you can't, you cannot convince me. No way. No way you can convince me that if you are building a program today – now, again, this goes back to maybe these have – other people have just different – uh, ideas of how this this should be rated and, and what the criteria should be. But if you're building a team today and you're hiring a coach, there's no way there's 20 coaches better than Lincoln Riley. No. No way. And not, not only is he, is he the premier offensive mind in college football right now, but he's got Oklahoma recruiting at a much better clip than they did under Bob Stoops. They're, they're re-energized on that front, which you would expect. He's a young coach, but it's it's – it's resonating. It's working, and so I, I look. I I understand, but, he, but think about it. Like he walked into a yeah, he walked into a good roster. He came in in th- June. Yeah, and 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 had to win over a staff, um, which he, he had worked with for a year. But still, like this is the young thirty-three-year-old taking over as the head coach. Like, what what the heck's going on here? Like, who I'm, I'm supposed to answer to you, kid? You know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he wins over this staff, he wins over this roster, and he's and he follows this legend, and he gets, you know, he takes him to the college football playoffs and wins a Heisman, and you know, this is, it's it's to me, it's it's crazy that there would be twenty coaches you would take over Lincoln Riley. Like you're gonna take what? You take Mark Rick over Lincoln Riley? I mean, no offense to Mark Rick, he's a great coach, but if 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 you put Lincoln Riley in 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 uh, Miami right now. And you put Mark Rick in Oklahoma, I can tell you I'm picking in that game in in, in six weeks. You know, I, I just I, I just think that it, it's it's Lincoln Riley is is one of the stars in this game right now. All right, what about his Rose Bowl foe, Kirby Smart? Because this is one where I am uh, a little bit higher. You're high. Yeah, yeah, it seems like you're on the you're you're on the lower end of both uh, myself and the consensus. So, we've got a defend yourself segment where I need to defend some of my irrational selections later, but uh what's your you know, where where are you coming from with uh, with the way that you analyze what Kirby has been able to do uh in his short time in Athens? Kirby was a really hard one for me. Uh I have him 15th and I look, I could be convinced I don't know like I could get him up to 12 11 maybe um but and this is and look I had him I I had him lower than Paul Johnson last year because Paul Johnson beat him the year before right like that was what we were going off of um I sort of split the difference this year because Kirby had a great season and and um Kirby was 54 in our rankings last year yeah and deservedly, I mean, he was eight and five the previous year. Lost to Georgia Tech, playing in a bad East. You know what do you expect? Um, so that was one of those though, where like 
hey, I think most people were going off of what can we, h- how do we know? Like if you're if you're anything higher than 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 the forties, you're just guessing on Kirby Smart. Unless you, I mean, hey, unless you're like in that program every day and you're like, all right, this is special. Um, so I do think that, like, I don't hate your pick, calling Kirby Smart number five, except for the fact that. There's just coaches I like better than him that I would want to go up there. Like it's, it's not crazy to think he's he's the fifth best coach in college football. Like I think he's a really good coach. And and what probably makes me more bullish on him than anything is the way he's recruiting. Yeah, that's that was I think recruiting and uh, I just you know he put together. It it feels it feel, doesn't it feel you tell me at least from the recruiting trail and you might know these assistants better, but it just feels like he's got the right staff in place. Like it feels like he's got all the pieces in place right now. Yeah, I I think yeah I agree with you. I think he definitely does, and I I think it's a little bit easier to say like to go that high with say Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley is because in a lot of ways those two are comparable, and and you can make a real case against me going Lincoln Riley at seven and Kirby at fifteen and saying they're the same coach. One of them is a defensive coach, and one of them is an offensive coach, and and I think honestly that's kind of what helps me like activate that Lincoln Riley bump because like I can see his play design. I can it's it's just a little bit like cleaner to the eye. Whereas Kirby, it's like all right, it's you know if you're a great defensive coach, your guys are just going to play really hard and be in the right place, and you know you're not making people look stupid out there with this intricate design of, of of an offensive play and so i think that sex appeal like allows me to go a little higher thinking riley right but but i could i i think you could make a real argument that uh you know you could make an argument that kirby and lincoln are are, are very similar i hope that they yeah, and i hope that they meet in uh many more college football playoff semifinals in the future or championship games because the rose bowl is one of the best college football games i've seen in the last like 10 years I would take yeah, it. Was, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's uh, Dan Mullen mentioned him in passing earlier. Uh, I told you I'm, I've got him at number eight. A lot of that is on, uh, you know, X's and O's. A lot of that is on, uh, you know, what he's been able to do with quarterback play and, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm giving him bonus points for taking Mississippi state to unprecedented levels of success, uh, in terms of that program's history. And so I am, I, I'm not, I've, I've talked myself out of being super bullish on him, uh, for an immediate like Florida impact, but I am still very much in the, of the belief that what he's done and also what he can do, uh, as a coach has him as a, you know, top tier, at least like, He's not in the top tier. He's not in my Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, Chris Peterson, but he is in that sort of next bucket for me. And uh, it wasn't too tough for me to put him there. I wonder if so. He was thirty first in the consensus CBS Sports consensus rankings in twenty sixteen. He was twenty first in twenty seventeen, um, and now he's thirteenth in twenty eighteen. Um, I wonder if he had Mississippi State next to his name, he'd, if he'd still be 13th. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, is there is there a little bit of just... A Florida bump? Florida bump bias yeah. of like, oh, now he's the Florida coach. 
Well, you and well, I both he's... know that there's a Florida bias uh, <laughs> at CBS Sports, so uh, possible for sure. Right. right. Um, I just, yeah, I, I feel like I had him 16th. And, and look, I will also, this is one of those coaches who, on the surface, you look at Dan Mullen and you stamp him and you say, top 10 coach. Right. He's a, he's a top 10 coach. But then you look at who, like, when you actually try to squeeze coaches into the top 10, it's, I just had a little harder time putting him above a couple of the other guys. So this is, this is not one where I'm just, like, you know, decisively bearish on. Like, I, I, I think Dan Mullen's a really good coach, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what he does in Gainesville. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard for me to put him above. Like, I didn't have him above Kirby Smart. I didn't have him above Paul Christ. And that, you know what, like that maybe is the an argument of a guy you could put Dan Mullen above because Paul Christ didn't crush it at Pitt, um, but he sure has been impressive at Wisconsin. And so that's maybe now Dan Mullen's getting his Wisconsin job. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't put him above a Gary Patterson or even a Mark D'Antonio. So it's just, man, there's just a lot of really good coaches that I couldn't quite go Dan Mullen over. But he is, you know, we're, we're still in the upward trajectory segment here. So uh, he's definitely a guy I could see being as high as like a top top six or seven coach within the next couple of years. You mentioned Gary Patterson. I've got him linked uh, to Jimbo Fisher as what I call uh, sort of the best of the decade where it felt like you are taking the and, – and when I say best of the decade, I'm probably going – I mean, obviously Jimbo Fisher I think just became head coach in 2010. So I'm, I'm really going back to – you know, 2009, 2010, uh, I guess that would be, you know, TCU's Rose Bowl appearance year uh, would also be included in that, you know, conference realignment, uh, being in the mix in 2014 as well. Uh, you've got, let's, let's start with Jimbo. You and I both have him outside the top 10. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Not, I mean, again, I hate that we're just giving out these spoilers, but hopefully... Uh, everything will be up but like yet he he remains in the top five the consensus in 2016 he was number six 2017 he was number four in the 2018 cbs sports coach rankings holds his spot at number four is that just rings i guess it is but but i'll say this i so i had him 12th you had him 12th 12th is is i mean i knew that i would be on the um I knew I knew I'd be an outlier there with him at twelve, and I, I I will also say like I have some some regret I have some remorse I feel bad putting Jimbo Fisher at twelve I I I think he should be higher than that so I think he should probably be like I had so just to recap here I had James Franklin five Scott Frost six Lincoln Riley seven. I still like that group there. I, I would probably go if I could do this over. I would stick Jimbo up at uh, eight, right behind Lincoln Riley, um, because so there is a little bit. I think for both of us, probably we had a little recency bias oh, yeah. of like the the down year. Yes. It's hard not to hard to just scrape that from your memory. I think for me, it it's I get a little bit. Like Jimbo Fisher's always been a guy to me that has been really successful, and yet he doesn't he doesn't look or act necessarily like I expect an elite coach to act. Does that make sense? Like he talks like 
he talks really fast and you can't really understand what he's saying and his message is often very jumbled and he like his his offense is is you know his offense they're they're often well coached and he develops quarterbacks at a really high level but he's there's like his the the staple of Jimbo Fisher's offense is what like I don't know like he's they're just I guess good quarterback play I don't know I I guess it's just hard for me to really pull up pull, put my one liner on what, what Jimbo Fisher is oh I know and, what my one liner is what's that I am a boot guy it's it's a being a boot guy. <laughs> it's 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 all about being a boot guy. Well, that's part of it too. Like he he's sort of a goofball in like a not like it. In hey, a y'all, like y'all ever uh, y'all y'all oh y'all never had uh, peanuts and cocoa? Oh, peanuts and cocoa—that's West Virginia delicacy right there. You just put them in there, let it sit around. It's going to taste great. See, what you do is if you look at the X, and if the X is covered, you're going to go to the Z. Uh, I and, and and that's my point too. Is like that. I think those are bad excuses. Like those are not fair criticisms, and that's why I think I I, I sort of get I, I I dock him for reasons that aren't fair, and I also dock him because I look at some of the guys like I put Mark D'Antonio above him. Mark D'Antonio took over a, you know he's he's got a a lower tier program. Sorry, Michigan State fans, but just Florida State's just a it's it's got pure royalty blood than Michigan State. And so it's a little easier to win there. But then you go back and you remember, all right, Jimbo Fisher took over a program that was pretty mediocre when he when he was promoted from offensive coordinator, coach and waiting. And so I and and quickly turned it around to a national title type of program. So all that's to say is I regret having him at twelve. I think he should be at eight. I don't I don't hate someone that I don't disagree with someone that has him as high as four. Like I'm I can I can live with that. I, I don't agree with it, but I can, I can accept that. Um, so I'm already, I'm already. Look, we're, I'm already wavering in my. In my <laughs> All right, uh, recency bias. I will admit, but I do think that it was. Uh, I think that some of the way that things went down, which includes a certain stubbornness, you know, uh, both with, you know, your like if. Part of being a modern college football coach probably is uh, it takes a little bit of evolution, and I don't want to dock a football coach, especially when I've been preaching X's and O's, and when I've you know things things that Jimbo Fisher, by all accounts, is very very good at, and you know the when I've when I've heard Jimbo Fisher lecture about uh, certain plays, you know it, he breaks it down in a way that even I. Uh, am able to understand it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I understand the the sort of tree and the passing concepts that you give to your quarterbacks. I I get uh, all of that, and you know, certainly Jimbo Fisher's stamp means something to the NFL because he got Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel drafted in the first round. Uh, and I I just I look at the unwillingness to evolve a little bit, both in terms of your staff decisions in your relationship with the administration and just the way that all that kind of fell apart left a bad taste in my mouth. And it won that again, even having him at number 12, like that just made me put Mark Richt and Mike Gundy above him. Uh, you know, that just made me like Gus Malzahn and you know what? Like Jimbo Fisher beat Gus Malzahn for the national championship, but also that was thanks to Kelvin Benjamin being seven foot seven tall. Like, 
There's uh, I don't know. There's well, I, no, I think you're you articulated a lot better than I did, and I think that's a, that's those are like fair criticisms. Mine is just like a vibe. Like I just <laughs> I got this like vibe that like he's he's a little overvalued. Yeah. And but 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 to say he he hasn't you know he's been a little stubborn in his in being willing to change his coaching staff. He classes with the administration. He's you know he's constantly flirting with other jobs. Like those are valid reasons why fourth is high um mine are my mine are just like just this sort of in, indescribable vibe that i just i'm not there yet with them but but yours i think are, are fair uh gary patterson uh i've got him real high big on uncle gary and uh and and for gary patterson there i'm probably giving him bonus point like like that's where i become a big hypocrite with some of these rankings at the top because you know gary patterson's super stubborn uh you know there there have been all kinds of uh wildly frustrating and variant sort of seasons when you look at uh, a large sample size of tcu football like he he can go from 12 and 1 to 7 and 6 real quick uh you know the the, the games can be real maddening you feel like there were times in the last two years where i felt like every single tcu football game was a roller coaster ride and you just had no idea what to expect from that team and when it's at its best it looks like you know this is a team that could go and win the big 12 and then there's other times where it's like man i can't tell tcu from texas tech uh he's been willing to evolve at least in terms of identifying the the kind of offensive minds that you need to be able to win in the big 12 but uh I don't know. I th- I think that I just I don't know. I'm I'm maybe maybe it's because he shares a last name with me. I'm <laughs> I'm still all in on Gary Patterson in terms of just being able to like. How about this? Gary Patterson's ultimate tiebreaker for me is his ability to game plan for a single game or a single opponent. He's pitched some shutouts, if that makes sense. Like he's Gary- he's had some games where it's like, oh man, he's got him figured out. This is yeah. This is miserable. Like this is all a Gary Patterson win. And you can tell that he's got it all figured out. Uh, he, he's one of the best. There's no question. And and there was a draft of my list where I had Gary Patterson high, as high as like six, fifth or six. Like I, I went really high with him initially. And then I just sort of – and I even got – I think I finished the list and and looked at Gary Patterson at six or whatever it was and looked at some of the names behind it and I was like, uh, nah, 13. Like I just I you know and it was that look it was that close between six and thirteen like the it was splitting hairs between those guys, but I I think part of my hesitation is like if you're gonna have a coach that high, he has to have accomplished something significant, right? Like he's not even been the outright winner of the Big Twelve yet. Like six years in, he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't won the Big Twelve. Okay, do, uh, but do you give Chris Peterson uh, success for Boise State? Because I think you no, got to give, give Chris Peterson success for Washington. I mean, Chris Peterson took Washington to the college football playoffs, true, and and true. that's why I think they're close. But Chris Peterson, to me, has Washington, and I don't know that. Look, maybe Washington's got a little. I mean, it does. Washington's got a little better. Uh, pedigree and and history than than TCU at this point, but TCU, I mean TCU has been a name in the national consciousness for a long time now. 
But there, and, I mean, and, there were a lot of, of runs. Patterson. Yeah, there were a lot of there were runs that TCU had in the Mountain West that were as impressive as Boise State's success in the Mountain West. Yeah, no, I, I know, no doubt. But but what I'm saying is 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 now Gary Patterson is building off of a Washington program that has a little bit of a of deeper roots in college football than TCU, and 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 that Washington program, it, to me is is in has better footing right now than TCU does. Like they're recruiting at a higher level. They are, they look to me to be the, the sort of team to beat in the PAC 12 North, if not the PAC 12 altogether, like moving forward, Washington is about to carry the, the, the mantle or the, you know, the flag of the PAC 12. And so, so that's kind of like, to me, there's a distinct difference between Gary Patterson and and Chris Peterson. Um, but again, look, it, it's hard. Patterson's a hard one for me to gauge. But it's the best they've done is is tied for first in the Big Twelve in six years. If I'm going to go a top six pick with a guy, give me a give me a Power Five conference title. All right, you know what I mean. I got you. Now, fair, totally fair. Um, defend yourself, Barton. Jim Harbaugh. As a top ten coach in college football right now, you defend yourself, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, outside the top twenty-five. Okay, all right, I'll defend. I'll go first. <laughs> Turn the tables on me. I was I was going to demand an answer from you. You demanded an answer from me, but okay, all right. Answer forthcoming, Jim Harbaugh. Like one thing you have to include in his resume include in his profile is what he did at Stanford yeah you, I know. you can you can scrape clean all the NFL success or or you know what success he had in the NFL but you have to include Stanford and for that matter you have to include San Diego seven and four 11 and one 11 and one at San Diego he took over a horrible Stanford program that that felt like it, it just couldn't be successful again like it just felt like College football had passed Stanford by. Can't, can't win with those sort of academic standings, with those sort of academic um, restrictions. And he goes four and eight, five and seven, eight and five, twelve and one. And 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 that's remarkable. And and Stanford has been living, and and like that's that's a, a that's a skyscraper now that Jim Harbaugh built the foundation for. I know. Then he goes to Michigan, and. And look, if we had, if if we did a poll in 2015, Harbaugh's probably top five. He takes a five and seven team to ten and three. In 2015, they're ten and three in 2016. Yeah, I, I know that they're zero and two against Ohio State in those years, and but those are close games, and they're like what in 2016, they're a they're a a first down measurement away from winning that game. And you can say it's all about wins and losses, but like, let's be real. Like that's not a, that doesn't mean that urban Meyer is this like decisively better coach than them because they missed the measurement or the, cause, cause you know, JT Barrett fell forward a half an inch. So that was a successful season, like a, a, a close season, a very close season. They finished top 10 in the country. The following year, after losing 11 players in the NFL draft, the most that Michigan has ever produced, eight on defense, 
they go eight and five. Like people forget that Michigan wasn't supposed to be good last year. Like people at that point were still so enamored by Harbaugh that they thought he could work that miracle and maybe make them good with a really young, talented team. But really, subjectively, or objectively, rather, they weren't supposed to be that good. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna give them an eight and five pass. It's not like you went three and nine like like Michigan State. It, you know, it's they went eight and five. And so this year, if they go, let's, let's say they go eleven and two, you know, is 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 suddenly Jim Harbaugh now no longer the twenty seventh best coach in the country? Is he now? Hey, and this is this is also where I should like point out that the the you know when I was talking about the tears in the beginning, the it it would not take much to get the way that I, I view these rankings. It would not take much to get from twenty seven to twelve, if that makes sense. It I don't. Does. I I don't think Jim Harbaugh even winning the Big Ten would have me uh, bumping him up into the top ten, unless it has something to do with the one thing that I I am trying to you know like. I'm 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 kind of calling uh kind of calling BS on Jim Harbaugh the quarterback whisperer or the quarterback guru and like and, Andrew Luck might just be Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck just might be uh a phenomenal like I don't know if Andrew Luck was built by Jim Harbaugh or if Andrew Luck arrived uh with uh, the the right tools needed to very quickly turn the switch and become uh, an elite capable quarterback because the defense is led by Don Brown. So, and I believe I am absolutely preaching the gospel of Don Brown and I, the lack of consistent or particularly good quarterback play, the lack of creativity offensively. I just, I, I understand that there's probably a little bit of this old school Michigan mentality that not having gone to Michigan, not having rooted for Michigan, I can't really connect with, but I am just sort of, I'm, I'm out on this idea that Jim Harbaugh is an offensive savant or some sort of great developer of quarterbacks uh, until we start to see it. And I, I think that just my adjustment, because Jim Harbaugh, you know, you just mentioned like in previous rankings, 2016, he's 10. Uh, last year, he's five. Uh, this year, he's going to fall outside the top 15. Now, I've got him all the way down at 27. Maybe a little dramatic, but the real reason for the drop in my rankings is that I just, I think that this is a myth that we've all created and maybe it's not backed up with uh, enough results to suggest that Jim Harbaugh is able to uh, sprinkle some sort of magic uh, Jim Harbaugh dust on any quarterback or offense and make it dynamic enough to be able to win against the very best teams. It's obviously good enough to be able to win against most of the Big Ten, but when it comes down to that last little bit that Michigan fans are looking for the difference between 10 and two and 12 and Oh, I'm just, uh, I've got to see it for me to change my mind. Look, he's on the clock this year. <clears throat> There's no question. I think he's, if he's not taking a more active role in the offense, then, then he's not, then he's missing the message because clearly he's got to fix that. I mean, I'm not but, the only one who's, who's starting to feel that way right now. No, too. no, no, I know. But at the same time, let's also like, 
Wilton Spate might just be that bad. <laughs> like, maybe he did sprinkle pixie dust on Wilton Spate. Like, if Wilton Spate goes to UCLA and is a starter and is successful in that offense, then joke's on Harbaugh and and we got our answer. But that ain't going to happen. Like, I'm, I'm just telling you, if, if Wilton Spate goes – if Wilton Spate's the UCLA starter, they might win three games this year. I just don't – I have no faith in that. And so – I think if I, to me, my critique on Harbaugh is their is their stubbornness in playing upperclassmen at quarterback. I mean, we look. Yeah, like the demeanor. Like, like, pod know, yeah, know the, my belief in Brandon Peters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the demeanor, <laughs> like, the demeanor aspect to why you're not playing somebody who is going to arguably improve the situation. Uh, <laughs> Deme- yeah, demeanor. Too much demeanor critique is is uh, I, I'm not I'm not buying that that approach to coaching but but I'm gonna but but here's here's what I'm gonna challenge you on here chip if you're and I know this is splitting hairs some so maybe this is unfair to call you out like this but like you have Bobby Petrino ranked a spot higher than him if you're Louisville you're telling me that a Louisville fan isn't gonna trade Bobby Petrino for Jim Harbaugh if you are Mike Leach, if you're a Washington State fan, you're saying Washington State wouldn't rather have Jim Harbaugh than Mike Leach. You're saying, you're saying Utah wouldn't trade Jim Harbaugh for Kyle Whittingham. Do I don't know. Trade hey, David Cutcliffe. Hey, Utah, for, for, Utah might be very happy with Kyle Whittingham. Thank they you are, very they're much. They're very happy. No, and all those schools are all those schools are happy with their coaches. Mike Leach is is great for Washington State. David Cutcliffe is probably the perfect fit for Duke. But if I'm if I'm a Duke fan. There, it, it, you can't even finish getting the sentence out before I'm saying, yeah, I'll take Jim Harbaugh. Cutcliffe's great, and he's going to give me close to eight wins, thereabouts, for a long time. But if I got Jim Harbaugh, hey, he went 12-1 and with Stanford. So I, I, think, I think you are being a little bit, uh, you're a little bit unfair to, to our boy just because he made a couple bad moves at quarterback. Uh, and and I think you're I think you got a, probably a little Harbaugh fatigue, understandable. Oh, yes, you know? absolutely Harbaugh <laughs> fatigue. And you know, and like like I will admit that the fact that Jim Harbaugh for like two years had the entire college football blogosphere just lapping out of a a, a saucer of warm milk <laughs> that he was refilling every single day made me sick to my stomach and people kept clicking on it. Like the Harbaugh mania and the number of hours that I will never get back from having to aggregate content because it's what the fans demanded absolutely plays a role in this. This is, this is a different kind of media bias. (laughs) This is a different kind of media bias for sure. I should be all, yeah, I should be all in on Harbaugh, right? Yeah. Harbaugh, Harbaugh, Harbaugh's gotten us some clicks through the years. Yeah, yeah. He's also he's he he's also made me late for dinner with my wife because he took a picture with a steak and a glass of milk. <laughs> <laughs> never getting that. Never getting those that time back. Uh, all right. Where do you? Where else do you want to go and defend yourself? Uh, I want. I'd, I'd like for you to defend yourself on another one. Um, you know, look a lot of. The one other one that really jumped out to me for you, you have my man, 
one of the sneakiest best coaches in college football, Pat Fitzgerald, all the way down at 34. I know. I'm gonna defend. He- I'm gonna yourself, hear so. it. I, I don't have a good defense for that one. That was that that was. Uh, you're just you're. I don't have any numbers when I when I start the rankings. It's just the names, and I'm slotting them in order, and I'm moving them up, and I'm moving them down, and I put the numbers on at the end, and. You know, like I think I think I had Pat Fitzgerald as a thirty um, from my tier system, which is uh, better than half of the Power Five quarterbacks. Top half, you know, like positive value added, good football coach. But when it came time to to slotting him out, uh, I had him behind Ferentz. I had him behind Mike Leach. I had him behind Tom Herman. I had him just behind Clay Helton at USC. I had him ahead of Dave Clawson, and he and Dave Clawson, for me, were kind of operating in tandem. Like, I knew I was going to put Fitzgerald above Clawson, um, and they were sort of sliding up and down together. I had him behind Paul Johnson, which might be another defend yourself uh, type situation. But I, you know, I, I, I know the number looks bad, but I, the way that it fell in my pecking order, I, I don't feel bad about it. If that makes sense, man. I mean, he's got three ten-win seasons at Northwestern in the last six years. I mean, well, that's me. That's that's on me for being too high on Jeff Brom, for example. Yeah, you, you know, are like, too high on Jeff Brom. Yeah, I've I've got Jeff Brom at nineteen. And if you think about the way that this works, if if I've got if I'm too high on Jeff Brom, that means that everybody else, uh, you know, slides down a, a notch right there. Uh, if I'm too high, which I might be on. Now I'm probably right good. Like I've got I how about this? I've got Pat Fitzgerald behind David Cutcliffe. Do you have Cutcliffe ahead of Fitzgerald? Uh I have Cutcliffe Where do I have behind him? I do have him behind him. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, I've Fitzgerald 20th. I've Cutcliffe 24th. Fitzgerald is 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 Cutcliffe is look. Cutcliffe's an interesting one. Oh, I'm too high uh, on How about this? I'm also too high on Fuente. All right, so you're just straight up pleading guilty on Pat Fitzgerald. Yes, I am pleading guilty. I I am saying that I am confident in where he stands among his peers. The number looks bad because I'm buying a lot of stock in some young coaches who have not proven themselves the way Whoa, that Pat you're Fitzgerald. Thirteenth on Justin Fuente. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's that's aggressive, and and that's another one. Look, that's one where next year that could pay off. You know, and and like. Justin Fuente is, to your point, like there's a lot of coaches in, in a similar range. Justin Fuente is a, a, a stock up guy right now. Um, there's, you know, that that could very well be the correct spot for Justin Fuente, but it is certainly a uh, an outlier projection. Yeah, um, no, it, and so uh, how about this? I'm pleading, like I've got, like my, my defend yourself is uh, I'm confident with what I did and I will serve the sentence of Northwestern fans spending the next three months just skewering me on Twitter. Well, and and in Pat Fitzgerald fashion, coming off a ten and three season, like he could very well be five and seven this year. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of that's that's the case against Northwestern. Is yeah, they've been ten and three, uh, three of the last six seasons. But they've also been five and seven, two of the last six seasons. So there is a there is a come down to earth kind of 
uh, reset uh, correction every once in a while with Northwestern. But hey, they've got Clayton Thorson first round NFL draft pick this year. So <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, if my 20 to 40 are mostly interchangeable, I'm just a little bit too high or buying stock in some other guys. Yeah. Um, all right. Where do you want to go next? Uh, do you want to talk Bill Snyder? Yeah. I didn't, I'm not even making you defend yourself on Bill Snyder, but it is, it is time to get into your, your thought process because I don't, I don't hate it, but to, to, to let everyone in on, on, you know, the Bill Snyder spectrum, uh, consensus in the story you'll be reading at cbssports.com, 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, Barton, a little lower, 26th. Um, you know, a little bit of a Snyder hater, but but nothing compared <laughs> to Chip Patterson's 40th. And if you've got him 40th and I've got him 26th and the consensus is 12, then someone's got him like third. Well, he was nine last year. So if someone just took their... Uh, if if a lot I did not, but if anybody else took their last year rankings and started there as their like beginning point, then he's going to end up being higher. Uh, aside from ageism, which I will absolutely plead guilty to, uh, I I don't think that I've been as impressed. I don't think that I think it's been a while since we've had a lot of those games where uh you are are looking at Kansas State as I went into a lot of games during the 2017 season in Big 12 play thinking this is going to be the game where Kansas State gets them and in most of those cases I was less than impressed and this might even be a two-year run but I just think that some of the um like so, some of the magic of or some of the mystique around Kansas State playing a different style and really beating you up. It just doesn't like outside of the Oklahoma game. I'll get I'll give you that. The Oklahoma game where they ran all over Oklahoma's defense and forced Baker Mayfield to go and win it at the end. That was that was probably the one game this year, but I have not found myself uh in general being as intimidated by the against the grain different style uh, beat you up and win ugly Kansas State performances as I was in like 13 with Colin Klein, 14 and 15. Like I kind of feel like the mystique of Bill Snyder was cemented 2012. Uh, I mean, I mean, it could be cemented anytime, but at least in 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 my sort of uh, view of the world, which is a, a little bit less so. I, th- I thought that he was more at his peak as some kind of football mastermind a few years back. I think that time has come and gone. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think we're – like there's no – there is – I have 26, and I think everyone above him, there is a possibility that they will cycle up to an 11-win season, right? Like I think that possibility has sort of gone with – with Kansas, with Bill Snyder. I mean, Kansas. I mean, Bill Snyder could retire in August, force Kansas State to name his son the interim coach in a power play to be able to make sure that uh, a Snyder takes over the program. Right. This, I, that, this is that is I, not is, a crazy scenario, and the fact that I'm entertaining this, unfortunately, 
and in a way that is not fair is absolutely playing a role in my idea of like how I rank these coaches. No, I agree. I, I, the, the, the sweet old man, like dust has, has fallen off of Bill Snyder to me a little bit. And that, that might be me being totally unfair, but the whole thing about not letting the kid transfer a couple years ago, or was it, was it last year? Yeah, it was last year. It was uh, Sutton. Last year, Sutton, that, that, that bugged me. The, the unwillingness to sort of, I mean, the trying to, trying to sort of strong arm his son into being the head coach bugs me. And I also think there, look, he's been the coach at Kansas state since 1989. The three, there are three years obviously in there where he wasn't. And Kansas state was, Hey, look, there were four and seven in 2004 under Bill Snyder. They were five and six in 2005 under Bill Snyder. So it wasn't like he handed over the program in, in fantastic shape to the great Ron Prince. But Ron Prince took over seven and six, five and seven, five and seven. All right, fine. Like that wasn't that that was that wasn't great. That wasn't good. But it's not like Ron Prince is some great coach that's gone on to success elsewhere, but just couldn't win in Manhattan. Like that was just a bad hire. And so they get Bill Snyder back, and maybe Kansas State, thanks in part to thanks largely to what he built. But Kansas State might not be that bad of a place to play. It might not be that bad of a place to win. They've got a great atmosphere. They've got a great football culture. Bill Snyder is one of the greatest football coaches of all time, without question. He is a Hall of Famer. He is, like, what he's done at Kansas State is remarkable. But to say in one season, like this year, to say is who's the best coach in college football right now, to have him as a top 10 type of guy, I think is, you know, you're looking at this from a different perspective than I am. And I, I, I'm 26, and again, no one in my top 25 would I trade today for him as my head coach to, to put my program in a position to be successful moving forward. Uh, we'd be fine with him, but I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trading Paul Chris for him. I'm not trading Mike Gundy for him. I'm not trading Matt Campbell for him. Yeah. Matt Campbell, another guy I'm way too high on. Ageism ballot. That's all my, that's a, you know, this is what I've discovered. When I, hey, I'm, I'm right there with you on Matt Campbell. I got him 20th. You got him 20th, right? Uh, let's see. Campbell, Campbell, Campbell. Yeah, we both got him 20th. Um, hey, let's, do you, do you want to go into the jump since we, we were talking about it like a Matt Campbell-esque jump? Yeah. We, unless you want to. Set you, this up. No, no, no. no that, yeah, that's, that's cool. Set it up. All right. So Matt Campbell went from. 55th in 2016, 61st in 2017. We'll be jumping, and this this part will actually be out on Tuesday, so it's already out right now. We'll be at number 30 on the updated CBS Sports Coach Rankings, a 31-spot jump. So the premise, Barton pitched, and I like it a lot. Who, from these rankings is set to make a Matt Campbell-esque jump. So who do you have? I got one, but I'm afraid you've got him too. Uh, is it is it a, uh, a former FCS head coach that is now in Starkville? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's former, no way a, Joe Moorhead is at 58 when we do these rankings next year. A Pittsburgh native that coached in the Bronx before coaching in Central PA – 
who is now in Starkville. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's no ways of 58. And, and part of that is, is he is walking into a really good situation. So it, it's, it's set up to win today, now. Um, and look, the recruiting thing has still got to get uh, – we'll see how 2019 finishes. But I'm 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 with you. Like I had him 46th in my ranking, which is I suspect he'll be a lot higher than that next year. But like that's my sort of all right. First year SEC coach, first year FBS head coach. Um, that's sort of as high as I could put him, w- while still sort of giving due respect to guys that have had some success. But. My my suspicion is he's he's going to keep on climbing. Right, I had him in the forties, like in, in the forty bucket. The idea that I wasn't going to be able to just jump him right into top half of all Power Five coaches, but that I thought very highly of him. And when it came time to split hairs, he fell down to fifty four, and that was right. like as low as I could possibly go with him. I do think Joe Moorhead, uh, because of what he's walking into, because of me just drinking all of the Joe Moorhead Gatorade. Uh, or Kool-Aid that there is, not the Haterade, the Kool-Aid. I was, I was drinking all the Joe Moorhead Kool-Aid. Uh, I believe that the, I believe Mississippi State, I don't know if I'm nearly as high on Mississippi State as you are going into next year. I believe right. that we've got you on tape saying they could be the second best team in the SEC West. Yes. Um, but I, that's, that's the no brainer for me. This one isn't, I don't think there's going to be, there's not enough room for as much of a jump, but I really wanted to discuss it with you. Uh, I think that we are going to be set up for are you moving to a different coach. Yes. Do you want to keep okay, going on before, Moorhead? Before you do that, one, one last point on Moorhead is because there, there's people that are going to act like this is a, a first year head coach, but like there, like people forget that Joe Moorhead has been a head coach before. It was just at Fordham. And he took over a one-win Fordham team that was 12-2 and two, two years later, 11-3, and 9-3, and three, like a, a perennial FCS playoff team. Um, so he has experience leading a football team successfully. Now, obviously, FCS, Patriot League is a different world than the SEC. I get it. But um, – but he's he's coached a lot of football. He's coached at a high level before, uh, and and he has been a head coach before. So I think there's a lot of reasons to think like this isn't just sort of an experiment. Um, I think that we are positioned to see the narrative flip back on Dana Holgerson after this season. I think that Dana Holgerson, who after he hung seventy on Clemson in the Orange Bowl was the hottest thing going and everyone loved him. He's seen that all of that shine wear off in the time since. I mean, it's it's wild to think how long Dana Holgerson has been the head coach at West Virginia when you think about how many other Power 5 programs have made at least one change since then. Uh, I think that with Will Greer, with David Sills, with a little bit of a crack of an opening in the Big 12 – uh, Oklahoma State uh, experiencing changeover at quarterback. Uh, Oklahoma having some changeover at quarterback. Uh, I think that there is an opportunity not for him to jump up into the top 10 and, and maybe not even the top 15, but Dana Holgerson, a coach who I have uh, in this year's rankings. Let's see. Where is he? I have him at 33. 
You've got him at 38. The consensus will be 35. I think we definitely see at least a 10-spot jump for Dana Holgerson after this season. So you're basically uh, you're, you're basically betting on a on Mrs. on um on West Virginia. Like you're betting, like you, your upward trajectory is basically based on you think 2018 West Virginia is going to be pretty dang good. I think 2018 West Virginia wins 10 games. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, and Tony, you also got Tony Gibson there with him, who's you know you know is going to put together a good defense, particularly after taking a little little step back last year. Um, I, I like that pick. I like that to be sort of a guy that is a you know a buy stock on guy, uh, it's, which is funny to think considering he was he was basically uh, on the hot seat two years ago. Right. Um, was was almost fired. It felt like. Um, but but yeah, I, I I agree with that. I like that pick. Um, you know, I think I'm trying. Like, as I look at some of these other names. I do think one that is we sort of Larry Fedora had a bad year this year. Mm. But like he was one of the hottest names in college football coaching circles what the year before that basically. So I mean, he, it, he interviewed he interviewed for the Tennessee job in 2012. He led Carolina to a school record 11 wins in 2015. And then in 2016, his starting quarterback became the number one overall pick. And if you think about it, so we had him in our consensus 26th in the country last year. So to give you a perspective, 26th in the country this year is Justin Puente, who's considered one of the rising sort of stars in the profession. Um. Yeah, they had a bad year last year. They also, you know, they had bad quarterback play. They had had lot. They were replacing pretty much everyone. They were starting like four grad transfers. Like they were piecing things together last year. They had a twenty-one uh, person injury list at the end of the season. Like yeah, out, now, out granted, for the season like, type stuff. Maybe that's a maybe that's a indictment of the strength coach he's hired or something. Like that's pretty bad. But I could I could very easily see a scenario. Where we're like, by the end of next year, we're like, what? Like, why were we so down on Fedora? They had one bad year. I mean, they, I mean, the guy's been a, an upper trajectory throughout the rest of his career. So we've we've seen lately a lot of these sort of regressions and then bounce backs, whether it's from Michigan State, Notre Dame, whoever. I could see I could see a scenario where where, where North North Carolina really bounces back. So uh, Larry Fedora is well-respected within the coaching community. Other coaches like him. But he's also had a little bit of a revolving door of a staff. And like Seth Luttrell, head coach at North Texas, gives Larry Fedora a lot of credit. Talks about the experience that he had and what a good coach it was, what a good coach he was to, to work with. Blake Anderson, the head coach at Arkansas State. You know, the the coaches that, that come in and to North Carolina for the like position coaches are uh, good recruiters who have places like Ole Miss on their uh, on their resume as former stops, and then they leave and they get hired to go to Tennessee. You know, like he's he's identified good position coaches who have good established relationships 
uh, with high schools. And I mean, you like, correct me if I'm wrong. North Carolina under Larry Fedora has pretty consistently been like, you know, top half in the ACC and 25th to 30th in the country. Uh, but there's a stubbornness there that that when things are going wrong, he's not going to uh, scrap the game plan and go scribble a bunch of adjustments. He is such a believer in his system that you have to live through these really frustrating uh, either games or seasons to know and have faith that when it's going to pay off, like it did with Marquise Williams in 2015, that it's going to pay off in a big way because he's got talent. North Carolina has been putting dudes in in the NFL. There's talent there, but uh, for it all to come together, you've got to have a lot of belief in the system. And that's where Larry Fedora, to me, is almost Paul Johnson-esque in that you've just got to bite your tongue and bite your lip and just trust that uh, that the teacher knows best because there, there are going to be games and there's going to be moments in games where you're like, what are we doing right now? It is, uh, it is third and goal from the one. What is Chaz Surratt doing in the shotgun right now? Throwing a fade <laughs> route. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and, 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 and to be clear too, I don't think I'm necessarily even predicting that Larry Fedora is the riser. I just think it's 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 an interesting thing to watch. And I also think he can't he can't wash his hands of the fact he didn't have a good quarterback play last year. That's sort of on him. Like that's sort of his responsibility to make sure that he's got someone ready to roll, even if he has a one year starter that goes first in the NFL. Um, so but did you throw Paul Johnson in there as a bit of a segue? Because uh, there are some downward trajectory guys we need to talk about. There are here. some downward trajectory guys. Uh, Paul Johnson is definitely one of them. Paul Johnson was 24 last year. He will end up at 32 this year. Uh, I'm I'm hanging on to the to the school of Paul Johnson. I've got him at 24. Barton has sold his stock. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> I I it, I kind of came to. Uh, a moment of realization, a moment of clarity with Paul Johnson. I had him 24th last year. So I don't know what I had him, but I had him high. Um, and you know, top 25, certainly. And look, I, I, I have a ton of appreciation for Paul Johnson and, and what he has accomplished. And yet there is a ceiling on Paul Johnson's success that has nothing to do with his offense. Like it has to do, or, or his system or his scheme, it has to do with like a, a, um, sort of this like elitist attitude, and a, uh, a an unwillingness to recruit. Like I know that he doesn't recruit, and he just doesn't, just doesn't doesn't have any interest. In it. He doesn't. It doesn't matter to him because he's it's it's about his system, you know. It's about his. He's gonna have. He's smarter than everyone else, and he's gonna. It's it's. Just give me a give me a five ten quarterback that's that's that can run, and and I'll make it work. And so, to me, if if you're like willfully ignoring basically fifty percent of the job, which is recruiting, like to me, you don't deserve to be a top twenty five. And I think that 
if again I go back to the would you trade him for your coach? Very, I think, very few, I think, college football fans would trade their coach for Paul Johnson in Power Five. Yeah, like I would say, I would even even some of the guys I have behind Paul Johnson, like I have Paul Johnson, forty first. I have him ahead of Matt Rule, Steve Adazio, you know, Mark Stoops, Cliff Kingsbury, people like that. And I, I even kind of broke my rule a little bit and just gave him some some credit. But I bet you none of those fans would trade their coach for Paul Johnson because those fans at least think we got a chance. With Matt Rule, we went one for last year. But, hey, if this thing gets going, we got a chance to do something special. Steve Adazio, if, if you know, Steve Adazio is – there's a little bit of a ceiling on Steve Adazio too. Like he's he's been consistent and – and has been sort of in that seven and six range for a long time. But those fans are at least like, man, but at least this guy has energy. We can believe in him. He's, you know, he's going to put a product on the field that is physical brand of football. And, and it, it'll, you know, there's some, there's some moments of excitement in a Steve Adazio regime. Like Paul Johnson is just this sleepy, like no interest in engaging the fan base, no interest in recruiting. And, you know, it, it's just, a, it's hard. Like i I would be fascinated in a poll of college football fans how many would trade their head coach for Paul Johnson. I bet a lot of bad teams wouldn't. Would just be like, I'm going to live with Dino Babers. You know, we'll see. With Dino right. Babers, we're going to have some excitement. Yeah, that. I mean, I I look at Paul Johnson as a master of his craft. You know, like uh, he is like a, a virtuoso guitarist. Or like the he's a virtuoso like classical guitarist, right? But who listens to classical guitar? Right, 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 right. People want to listen to you know <laughs> whatever. Like they want to listen to like rock and roll or rap or whatever. And this guy's like in like playing like in flamenco you know, style craft, craft fairs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like he's got like a like a booth in the craft fair. Yeah. Like, no one listens to that stuff. Yeah. I'm... I'm a sucker for a virtuoso guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I think that we've we've talked about these rankings at times on the podcast because it's you know I, I've described to you before that the the Mike Leach, the Paul Johnson, and even like the Dana Holgerson uh, to some extent. Like when I and you know with offenses, it's it's even easier for us to see as you mentioned earlier with Lincoln Riley. But when I when I see when I'm able to see uh, the way the machine is working, the way that one play sets up another, um, when when you're able to to put all those pieces together, uh, it's beautiful and it's it's fun. And I, I give the architect of that a lot of credit. And Paul Johnson is the play caller. Like he ain't no offensive coordinator. Uh, calling any plays. It is Paul sitting out there with his play sheet, sending in a new fullback on every single play with whatever he whispers he is, in his ear. He is, li- yeah, he is literally <laughs> the play caller, like not signaling anything in, not not re- he is whispering plays in the ear of a fullback. Yeah, every play. Agreed. Yes, that is. I I appreciate that and respect that. You know, it brings me back to high school when I used to run the plays in as a as a wingback at NBA, but. That's that doesn't make him a top twenty-five coach to me. What is the what is the neck what is the trajectory in the current stock of Bobby Petrino? Yeah, that's a. I mean, 
One of my one of my real hesitations on Petrino, and I had him thirty fourth um, after he was a consensus thirteenth last year. That's interesting that 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 we thought collectively he was Lamar. that high. I don't know where I had him. Lamar. Lamar Jackson Lamar. gave him a huge boost. I, I'm a little bit though. Um, I think one of my big red flags on, on on Bobby Petrino right now is what he's like. His last two DC hires have been so he loses he loses Grantham to Mississippi State, takes the DC that Mississippi State didn't want. I mean, look, Peter Sermon's a good recruiter and a good coach but not a proven dc because he didn't have a great year at mississippi state and mississippi state no longer was was interested in having him or was certainly trying to upgrade him with the guy probably just lost so he hires peter sermon that felt like a little bit of a lazy hire now he goes and hires brian van gorder who was a disaster at notre dame um and meanwhile this you know, there, there's just a – like, it's not like he took over a program that was floundering in Louisville. I mean, that that, that program was, was on very firm footing when he took over. I just think, again, I, I kind of – look, I think Bobby Petrino is is a really good coach. And maybe 34 is low. I don't, I don't know. But I just look at the coaches above him in my rankings, and I'm like, look, I'm not I, – I, if I'm Minnesota, like, I, I'll take – I'll stick with PJ Fleck. Like I'm good. I'll take what we got. If I, I'm if I'm Virginia Tech, I'm hey, thanks Bobby, but but we're good. We're in a pretty good shape over here. Like there's a lot of co- there's a lot of programs in 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 a very firm footing. And and when you start splitting hairs, and you're just sort of a miserable person, like that that will end up biting you. And not that Bobby Petrino cares what <laughs> what he's ranked in my in my rankings, but you know if I'm an athletic director, I want a guy that's going to have you know, be a positive influence on my players and on my my community. And here, here's me again, uh, above the mean with a coach who I just think is a in in the best way a dastardly play caller. You know, just the the way the way that he will set up a defense and sort of the way that he pieces together uh, his sequence of offensive play calls every now and then, like. You, I just find myself watching the game. And you're like, oh, that's just mean, Bobby. Oh, Bobby, don't do it to him. And a lot of that has helped recently because he's had Lamar Jackson, one of the most prolific offensive talents to ever come through college football. But at the same time, I, I, I think that I've got a little bit of, uh, I'm, I'm giving him the same kind of Paul Johnson, you know, hang on, uh, as, as I've, I've got Paul Johnson, Mike Leach. He's, he's in that, that same bucket for me. Uh, yeah, you are, you're like a. You're like a uh, X's and O's nerd in this thing, man. You're like a going to some college coaching clinics, and and you're all about this the 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 scheme here, which is hey, that's interesting. I, I mean, that's a that's a big part of it. It's uh, it, it's something that I it is something that I find interesting, you know. And it's so yeah. that is that is one of my that is one of my biases for sure. That that is, and and if if. If this was an NFL list, like that's sort of all of it. Like that's sort of the whole thing. Because I mean, yeah, there's no can, recruiting, there's no sell your yeah, program. No Obviously, yeah, maybe you throw Bill Belichick in there as like a guy that's also developed or but ultimately it's it's really it's that that's just what it is. Like it's about, you know, designing plays, being prepared, having your team prepared, whatever. 
Um, but to me, like on a college list, it's it's that's just it's almost like a you know maybe third on the third or fourth on the list of things I'm interested in. Uh, Brian Kelly. My my my. my Brian Kelly has fallen into a uh, weird spot where he's Notre Dame's fine. What's it going to take for you to take Notre Dame seriously right now? Seriously as a what national title national, contender? Yeah, because that's what when you're when you're at Notre Dame it, and right. like there is no conference title for you to compete for. There is no division title for you to compete for. Like the the other side of the independent life is that your national title or bust. Uh yeah, I, I don't I don't take Notre Dame seriously right now then. I got it's it take a lot. It would take a it would take a like some surprising early season returns. Not that I don't think Notre Dame will be good. I think that they'll probably I mean they'll have a chance to win ten games again. I think Yeah, they'll be they'll be nine and three, ten and two, eight and yep. four if things go poorly. Like Yeah, maybe ten and three after a bowl again. Like I think that that's sort of what they'll be. And uh but offensively they're they I, I just I don't have a lot of faith in them right now, and and that's Brian Kelly, and he took like he, I'll give Brian Kelly credit for this. He's like he understood two years ago that he needed to take a hands-off approach, and he needed to not a hands-off approach, but he needed to be more of a head coach and less of an offensive coordinator. Right. Um, and so he hired an offensive coordinator to be the offensive coordinator. He hired a defensive coordinator to fix the defense. The defense is fixed. The offense is, is, isn't necessarily. Um, but, but here, here's my, one of my biggest hesitations on, on Kelly is when he's in a recruiting battle, he's going against Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Texas, like he's going against Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Tom Herman, Jim Harbaugh, guys like that, and he's going to lose those because Brian Kelly is is he's a he's a a passive hands off recruiter, and if I'm looking at this from a, from a running a program, building a roster standpoint, you gotta like you gotta have that that side of things buttoned up. And I don't know that he does, and I don't know. And, and when you look at what's struggling right now in off, uh, at Notre Dame, it's the offense. That's his side of the ball. Like credit him for making some good hires on defense. Credit him for the defense getting getting figured out. Um, and we think the defense will be good again this year, but you know, I guess we don't know. Um, but I just think that there's like we we always hear now nowadays we hear all these like questions about like the you know issues about the the things holding Notre Dame back all the reasons Notre Dame can't be great like I'm not so sure if you trade Brian Kelly for look if you trade Brian Kelly for Urban Meyer we're not going to be hearing about all the things holding Notre Dame back we're going to be hearing like Notre Dame Notre Dame would be they'd figure out a way and I just don't know that Brian Kelly is is has figured out a way with the same kind of resolve that he needs to in the same way that you gave uh, you docked some points from Bobby Petrino. Uh, I, I can't say that the public messaging of Brian Kelly recently or over the years has been all that impressive. 
Um, I think it was a either it was an interview with Matt Hayes last year when he talked about he was basically complaining about having to go on the speaking tours and sort of blamed it for a lack of team success. Uh, there was uh, jumping down, uh, jump, sort of sniping, sniping back and jumping at a reporter over a question about close losses. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just, it's, it is not the, uh, you know, and listen, let's take it all the way back to him just like grabbing Tommy Reese by the shoulder pads and just like chewing out quarterbacks and pull putting them on a rope one after the other, just yanking dudes off, off the field. A guy, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've soured a little bit. I think he's a good, very good football coach and Notre Dame has had probably what two or three really, really good seasons with him there. One being the BCS national championship season. The other one being Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, they finish what 12 and one that year, 12 and two. Um, yeah, I just, you know, you, you and I have him about the same spot. We are, we are below our peers um, he's going to be 27 in the consensus that's going to be published any minute now. You and I have him at 37 and 38. I've, I need, I need to, uh, I need to be sold on Brian Kelly because there, there's not a lot that's incredibly exciting. He was in my tears, a 30, you know, someone who I consider top half of the power fives, but when it came time to slot it out, 30 became 38 and that's just the way it was. Yeah. And he's look. He's they've had some struggles with quarterback development lately. He's got a twenty-five-year-old quarterback coach that's had two years of experience before he was hired at Notre Dame. I just there there is a couple of head-scratching things that Brian Kelly's done as a head coach that I think you know it, it, criticism is is earned. So I think um, this is a this is a, I mean a lot of these guys is an important year, but for for Brian Kelly, this will be an interesting year as well. I mean, this is I think we if they go ten and three again. He maybe creeps up that list, and but if they take a step back, uh, you know he keeps on plummeting. If they somehow get in the college ball playoffs, hey, he's earned it, and he'll 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 be up in the top fifteen, top ten, or whatever. But um, I just like you said, I'm not sure I have the confidence that that that's going to happen. Um, let's see. Uh, do you want, do, any other names that uh, that you want to dig into? Um, so I think Gus Malzahn's an interesting one. You have him ninth. Mm-hmm. I have him 24th. Sucker for the savants. That's right. Yeah, I guess we touched on him a little bit. I, I, I mean, this is a guy that's almost fired every year. I mean, the dude blew a 20 nothing lead at LSU. Yeah. You have plenty of reason to doubt Gus Malzahn. <laughs> Yeah. No arguments. Yeah. No arguments. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that one's that one's a weird one. I, I tell you, there's a couple guys that like I wish I could make higher. Like I think I have, I have Will Muschamp 29th. I feel like he's better than that, and I, and yet I don't really have the the body of evidence to to justify higher than that. But I just sort of have a hunch that Will Muschamp is is. Um, is is worthy of a higher ranking than that. And I think I think South Carolina will prove that out over the next few years. Um, I also like Tom Herman's an interesting one. Like Tom you Herman's had Tom Herman about where I had. You had him twenty eighth. I had him thirtieth. Um, last year he was twenty eighth. 
But I mean, when he was hired from from uh, from Houston, let's see, last year was his first year, right? Am I, at Texas, so he was yeah, 38, so, 34. I'm so, uh, I'm actually surprised he was. Tw- I guess people just put him twenty eighth because, or we we collectively put him twenty eighth because like it was just hard to justify higher. But I I suspect that if our group of CBS Sports analysts last year had a coaching search agency and we were sort of hiring from a list from a blank list, Tom Herman would have been pretty high on that list. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And yet, and yet here we are, and what do we like? We're still figuring this thing out with Tom Herman a little bit. Um, like I wanted to have, uh, I wanted to have Mark D'Antonio higher. I wish I'd. Put, I wish I was where you were. I believe. I think that Mark D'Antonio is a top ten coach. Yeah, I had him eleven. You had him eighteenth. Yeah, I. I, th- I think that. Man, I'm. I, I'm, I, I was doing, so, you know, now is the perfect time to really start digging around. I might talk myself into Michigan State this fall. Uh, I think it's, a, I think on the surface, without having done my deep dive yet, I think it's a, I think it's probably a, a smart, a smart pick. Just, you know, hey, they got a quarterback coming that's good, returning this good. You know, defense will always be tough, lose the defensive coordinator, but culturally they should be fine. Uh, and now they've they've kind of had two years now to, to reset and settle from the sort of disastrous offseason from 2016. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's probably a smart place to 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 pick some upside. Um, let's see. Uh, Willie Taggart, um, you've got him at 25. I got him at 36. Consensus will have him at 34. It will not take much for him to make a big jump. But I don't know if it'll happen this year. No, agreed. Uh, yeah, that, that's. Uh, let's see. I had Jeremy Pruitt forty ninth, high a little higher than the the, the consensus at fifty seven. Uh, where'd you have Ed O? Fifty sixth. Yeah, you're a little higher than that. I'm lower, I guess. I gave him recruiting points. Yeah, I don't think recruiting's like. I'm not impressed with his recruiting right now. That's the problem there. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the bottom's real tough because yeah. you know we're we're talking about power sitting power five head coaches, you know, who were at one point. Every one of these guys at one point was a a national like coveted coach, right? You know, you were either a top coordinator at a big program or a successful head coach at the group of five level. Like you, you don't, you, you don't just all of a sudden, uh, you know, creep up and, and, and land that power five job unless you're Lovey Smith, who, by the way, is 59th overall. Yeah. That one's, yeah. Um, well, man, this is, this has been a monster of a show. Yeah. It was hard to, it was hard to, hard to stop, you know, There's a <laughs> lot, to, lot to talk about. Uh, so all these, all you coaches out there that are, um, you know, in your coaches chat rooms arguing about Chip and Barton's coaching rankings, you got a year to, to fix it. Got you know? a year to fix it. Uh, make sure as always that you are watching CBS sports HQ. Uh, that is where you will get all kinds of great debate and fun on college football, uh, and all the other sports 24 seven live streaming network 
expert analysis, breaking news, uh, and it's all free. You can get it at cbssportshq.com. You can get it through the CBS Sports app. Uh, Just look for CBS Sports HQ. It's on your Apple TV. It's on your Roku. It's on your Amazon Fire. It's on all of your connected devices. CBS Sports HQ. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, This has been fun, Barton. Thank you. Sir. Sure.